Um, what I would like to do is for you to think about what, what points resonate with you. Like, okay, something about what you shared here. There's something about that. Like, that really stuck out to me. So if there are things like that you can kind of share, um, you can also share just things about, like, just the question you have. And some of the questions I don't know, right? Like, there's so much stuff that I just, I'm still trying to make some sense of it research as well. Um, I mean, there's histories of, like, even how the Japanese-Americans in the camps, um, how they did service. Like, you know, who are the people, who are the, who are the other white people who actually <laughs> ministered to them? How did, how did the Christianity and Buddhism impact and interact in their own identity? I mean, there's multiple research about that as well. But that's basically uh, something that we need to continue looking into. Eric, you have a question? Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just thinking of discussion we had at the conference about whiteness and how that definition has changed over time right, right. and how in many cases Asian Americans will be looked at as kind of approaching yeah, whiteness yeah, right, right. and how that kind of categorization could kind of uh, whitewash right. history, even more, right? you know it's like oh yeah, yeah but we're all accepted you know right. we're all together now and then history is kind of yeah. washed away yeah so the Harvard case that's exactly what's going on mm -hmm. the people who are suing Harvard I mean okay even with, okay, there's real racism in Harvard like everywhere else. We get that. That's true. The recent immigrants that are suing Harvard, mostly Chinese Americans, mostly privileged, they don't realize the history of racism, so they're being played by the Republican like operative who basically is gonna use this case now to get rid of affirmative action. So the, like this whole group of Asian American scholars, all the scholars who are like, no, don't do that. Now, this group doesn't really get a lot of airplay in the news because it doesn't sound that good. Like, you know, it's, it sounds as though, oh, there's this racial tension or whatever. But all the Asian American sources I know and who are, who are scholars, they have been fighting these people and saying, stop. That's not how you fight this racism. You can't, you can't get rid of a firm reaction. We have to keep this thing and still fight it in different ways. But you can't, what you can't do is use it in such a way that it's going to hurt other people because in the end, it'll come back to you as well. So those are the dynamics of what's happening right now. But if you don't understand the complexity of how these layers are and the fact that there's so many Asian American scholars who know and they're saying, this is a terrible idea for these people who are suing Harvard, you won't get that history. You won't get that in the news. And that's why it's really, really problematic. It's a single narrative of Asian Americans who are coming. They're all pretty much white anyway, so now they they're hurting the other minorities, when in fact it's not true. Asian Americans who know history are like, you don't know enough history to understand why this is about, this is getting rid of affirmative action is a problem. I think those things are really, even as Asian Americans are getting to some degree, you know, becoming more modern minority, I think that's the background. People who know the history will think very differently about that. Thank you. What, all this about enlarging, uh, yeah, history of white people, Neil uh, Painter's book, she talks about all this different stuff. Now, but it was written during Obama's year, Obama years in some degree, so it's very different in terms of its final tone. <laughs> I think it would be different if it was written now, right? So the last chapter, how it thinks about it, is, it's just slightly different. And there are a lot of books that, that were written during Obama like years. Like there's a book called, uh, what? Uh, Racial Formation in America, which is a great book, by the way. Sociologically explaining race, right? It was the first edition, it's like, it's what? Sixth edition or whatever, ninth edition. But there's an earlier edition that ended with the Obama era, and it's very different. And then they said, okay, now this is what's happening now. So that's interesting as well, the fact that how much things have changed, and also seeing the fact that how that's a, that was a superficial 
an understanding of this post-racial world or whatever. I just wanted to make, yeah, I just wanted to make a comment. Uh, I, 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 get, I get, like, I, I, I didn't realize, I didn't realize how uh, whitewashed my, you know, when I was going through K through 12, I didn't know how whitewashed the presentation of history was until I came here. I didn't even, I, I'm from Nashville and, and I have family over in Arkansas and I did not know about the Little Rock Nine until I took Hot Jim Lee's class um, a couple years ago, you know. And, um, and I didn't, and last, in this past year, I, if you haven't done this, I highly recommend that you, um, go to the Chinese American Museum in downtown Union Station um, because I saw, I was like, I was like shocked to find out about the lynchings, you know, because they were talking about that. And then, um, you know, like so many of the, the railroad workers were killed in accidents and stuff. And, um, and but they wanted to, they wanted to return their bodies to China. And and when I, you know, I read, I read about that in one of my classes, but I, it didn't become real to me until I saw a box mm. like that on display. Mm. You know, it's just like wow. And I, and I remember like having a conversation with my uncle, especially like about the Little Rock, the Little Rock Nine. And he said, he said, well, you know, here's something, here's a question we all gotta live by: uh, What side of history do you want to be remembered? And what's that, what on what side of history do you want to be remembered by? You know, do you want to be all, do you want to be remembered as a silent majority or somebody that stood up and did something about it? You know, yeah. So I just, I, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm just glad that at Fuller, you know, I'm getting more than a theological education. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if anyone has a comment online, just uh, speak up. Daniel, uh, one point of uh, 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 clarification. Did you say that um, um, in addition to the Japanese Americans being a um, possible threat mm -hmm. uh, during World War II, yeah. that um, California farmers... But economic, economic reasons. Okay. Yeah, they're economic saying, hey, reasons. Yeah. They're taking our land. Yeah. Or they're actually farming with this land that we have. They're actually producing too much because they're they're better farmers than us, basically. Oh, okay. So yeah. then they they appeal to the government to do something politically. Politically. Yeah. So then, so so they got included in the uh, encampment too. That they were taken away, basically. Who got it? I mean, the, these farmers. No, majority. Lot of there were a lot of farmers, Japanese American farmers. Correct. So when they ended up leaving, they lost their farm, and then the white people took took their farms, basically. But, but then the, the, the impetus of them being taken was not so much they were threat. Yeah, there was no, th in the end, the, the report came because there was an exhaustive report and they said there was no threat. It was hysteria and there were other political economic reasons. Political, okay, so meaning, okay, so they wanted them to go yeah. so they can take the land. Yeah. It sounds similar to like when people talk about the cause of the Civil War, or was it economics, or was it yeah. you know states' rights, or was it protecting slavery? It's yeah. like one is a real thing, and then the other yeah. is a cover. Right, it's a real like racism, and, yeah. then, and then you have different languages talking about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Exactly. They don't want them around. They yeah. want to keep America white. That's yeah. literally what people are talking about, as well, right? So, um, and then this is a great this is a great opportunity. I mean, if you if you look up this idea of battle. I think it's Battle Over LA, 
what ended up happening was there were some, I think it was like some air balloons or whatever. They thought it was an invasion. The history was so high that the guns went off and they were shooting for like an hour or something. And then they realized there was no invasion. There was nothing. People freaked out. They were just shooting in the air. Mm. I mean, that's how high the hysteria wow. was. Mm-hmm. It was just, so when you, when you have this hysteria mm-hmm. and there's nobody to kind of calm people and help people around, that the racism just kind of overflows, right? And then there are other people that you don't want anyways, so therefore you use all those things to justify it. I mean, you know, the, the, the Supreme Court cases, so Supreme, Supreme, every branch failed. Every branch failed doing, doing what happened with the Japanese American incarceration. So you look at that and you say, you know, what happened? Like, how, did it, how can it go so wrong? But that's our history. We have to at least know about that to do something with that at least, right? I mean, I think... The questions about how much does that impact us, those are open questions. There's no question about this, the fact that it actually happened. We actually have to know what it is in order to yeah, think about, and we can discuss about the fact that this is a legacy of this or that, but you can't discuss, you can't have an argument about this really, did it really happen or not. That's, now, that's just ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening, I think, in so much of our, um, uh, so much of, 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 our, of our country as well. I mean, legally, there's a book called White by Law. It just shows you legally the fact that whiteness wasn't a cultural thing. It was a legal entity. The courts actually decided what, what white was not, right? So, and how that gave you particular privileges and powers. The privileges and power thing is not like some cultural thing. It was a legal entity that was very concrete. That you can't argue because it's just historic, right? If we don't even know that and we start talking about white privilege, then, you, then it's, it seems as though it's just a cultural thing we kind of kick around which is not what this is. It actually has very concrete historic roots. And that's what I'm saying. How do we do theology? Not just by talking about culture. Well, culturally, we're different. That's actually foundations of multiculturalism. And multiculturalism didn't want to talk about structures and power. That's what the whole thing failed. It wasn't talking about white supremacy. It was like, well, here's white culture, here's black culture, here's Asian culture. Instead of thinking, these things have long histories. It was, it was a particular form of propaganda. Right. So I have a comment. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. This is Alice. Yeah, Alice. Hi. Hey. Um. This is yeah. It's interesting thinking about history, uh, especially some of these things where well, that's not. It's not my personal history, right? Well, my parents weren't that generation. Or right. My, you know, my family wasn't devastated by that. Although I can see how some of society still has kind of holdovers of racism from those policies or. Uh, social problems from those policies, or even like white normativity, you know, that kind of goes by question. Um, so, but maybe turning it in the other way, uh, you know, what do you think about like, how do I engage, like I have a white friend who literally told me, I'm not sending my kids to college unless they want to go because college is just going to tell them that, you know, they're the problem of all these things and they weren't even born yet. Yeah, I mean, once again, I think we can, we can talk about we can talk about the fact that how do particular legacies impact and what, what are the historical echoes of these things. I think they, they, those can be discussions, I think. But I think what ends up happening is uh, there, I mean, like, for example, like that book, like, you know, White by Law. I mean, it's not just slavery. It's just knowing the fact that legally U.S. has protected this category of white for a long time. So, and it's actually really, not, it's really recent. It's, it's not like hundreds of years ago, right? So, 
I think in that sense, it's just ignorance, like pure ignorance. It's a, it's a particular propaganda kind of to hide these things. Now, given the fact that this was a legal system, and th- I mean, there are concrete law cases you can kind of look to, given that, how, how do you make sense of that? That's an open question, I think. That's an open question. We can talk about that. Like, how, in what sense does it kind of propagate? And there are ranges of that. There are ranges, I think, that are more realistic than others, right? And you have to kind of think about where your location is. So, well, if you haven't experienced it, then does that mean it's not real? So I think sometimes when I teach, I talk about, I, I distinguish between individual personal experiences and kind of sociological realities. Even though some people, and this is a discussion I, we just had at Dean's Cabinet, there's some students who are like, you know what, I think we're, you know, why are we talking about race? I'm a black person, I don't, I don't think it's that important. I'm like, I can, I can affirm that for you. There's just deeper historical structures things that we have to understand. And you can locate yourself given the fact that this is history and this is basically what the structures are. And I can still affirm the fact that this has been your experience and you navigate the world in a particular way. I'm not going to rob that from you and saying, well, you should. I'm not saying, just be aware of what this is and how you're navigating the world. Because I don't want to be like, you know, you want to be careful about um, respecting at least their particular personal history. I think it's important. If you rob all that stuff, then you'll really disorient people. Mm-hmm. But to say... Look, these, these structural, broader, contextual, sociological things, these things, you just have to learn them. Why? Because you're not going to learn through experience. These, learning these things will give you a lens to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have them, of course, they don't exist because you don't have words to describe it anyways, right? I think for your, uh, Alice, for your friend, um, uh, I think, once again, like, these things are not history as an ancient history. These are repeated histories too. Like you see literally the same kind of policy being repeated, you know, in 100 years. So I think, you know, the question is, we can still say there are all kind of, uh, all kind of complicated racial politics. And some of these, are, you know, are not constructive because people are so traumatized and they're very angry. And, and, and rightly so, absolutely rightly so. But sometimes it's just hard to sit down and learn in the midst of all this stuff. So, yes, understand. At the same time, how do we actually learn about what reality of America is and was? And just because we don't know it doesn't mean it disappears. Like, we can't change the past. Like, these things actually happen. Like, U.S. was an imperial power. It still is, right? So if you're Puerto Rican, it's very plain. If, you're, if you don't know any, anybody Puerto Rican, you don't even know the fact that we have this, we have this whole country that we're actually holding that's a really weird reality, right? Are we an imperial power or not? Well, that's just a fact that we are. Now, what does that mean? Well, it depends on who you are, right? And what you, how you think it impacts you. But no matter what your experience is, I mean, we just are imperial power. We own Guam. Why do we own Guam, right? How do we take over Hawaii? History of Hawaii is just the most egregious in terms of what American missionaries and even the, the children of missionaries did. The best lands in, 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 in Hawaii are owned by a like, progeny of, of American missionaries who, who ended up living in Hawaii. And they took over the land. They used that privilege. So you look at all this stuff and you're like, well, that's our history. What do you do? I think the doing is a bit more complicating, but you can't do it without knowing history. Yeah. Then you're just blind. I agree. You're just, you're just like, just trying to figure it out by yourself. And using the language of culture, which is a culprit, which is a bad thing. Oh, culturally we're different. Hawaiians, they're just different. One of my favorite things is, Filipinos, they're just, they get along with everybody. Well, if you've been colonized for 500 years, maybe you just get along with everybody because you're used to it. Yeah. But is that culture? Mm. 
That's a terrible way of explaining what, 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 you know, what the difference is. What, what's, what you're seeing, of the, the phenomena you're seeing can't be explained just by cultural difference in a very narrow sense. Mm-hmm. It's so common, and especially in the evangelical world, because we like culture. Culture is safe. Mm-hmm. Race, structures, colonization, that is like, do we want to talk about that? If, but that's why we got a half-baked or half, like you know it's we got an incomplete picture and incomplete solutions for for what's happening. So hopefully that kind of helps us in terms of. I mean, I think you know, yeah. I mean, how do you first understand the issue in terms of historically how it's developed, and then you can think about theologically, history, strategically, what do you do as well? And those are different things, and you can't disagree with somebody else about strategy about. In terms of what you think is happening, explanation of how that legacy continues on, but if you're not agreeing on what actually happened, and you're ignoring history, then you're talking about somebody who has actually understands history, and you're talking about somebody who has just understands propaganda. Well, at that point, you're not going to have a decent discussion, mm-hmm. which is what's happening right, right now. Right, right. So I, I hear you saying, yeah, yeah. So you have to have a good grip on the facts and the reality before yeah. you can go. Right. And just say, there are these books, they're just historical books, right? This history of this thing. And you can still argue and say, well, you think you have, you know, you can still have a discussion about how much that impacts and what do you do and what does it even mean to kind of carry that burden of being like, this is your white, you know, guilt about the whole thing. You can still talk about the dynamics of that, I think. But you can't ignore the fact that the whiteness as a legal category is a real thing. There's still a legacy of this thing with, with the people, with the demographics of this country. Why? I mean, I guess it's changing. Why is Congress the way that it is? Why, you know, why is certain departments and certain fields more white dominated? That's, that's a question. Like, we can actually have a discussion about these things and particular histories of how those disciplines, though, that field um, has been dominated by a particular kind of a history and particular kind of race, ra- racial dynamics. That's really helpful. Now it's something concrete. It's not just like, hey, you know, I think white people have been terrible forever. I'm like, that doesn't really help. You know, that's just too vague. Right? It's, it's, it's too vague to talk about what we're talking about. And, I think, and that kind of vague, vague language can be, can be done, you know, used from anybody, right? I mean, Asian Americans, black people, everybody can use that kind of vague language. The question is, how do you articulate well? No, just because you articulate well, it doesn't mean people are going to listen. <laughs> or even if, you have, if you have, even if you have facts on your side, it doesn't mean people are going to listen. But at least we can try to sit there and do this thing and continue to try to uh, have this struggle of kind of people knowing history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we know exactly where that plaque is? You know, oh, yeah. If you go to Pasadena or Mills Place, and it's by Colorado, there's a little plaque right there, and you'll see it. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, it's by Colorado, right? And then the, from Colorado, it goes all the way to green, right? Colorado right. to green. So on the Colorado side, it's actually on, over there. And you, if you look around, there's a plaque. Okay. Plaque, yeah. And, the, and when I saw it, I was like, I was like, what yeah. in the world, right? Just, wow, I grew up in, well, I lived in Pasadena for this long, and I didn't even know the fact that there was, a, there, there was this history. I will send you the article, because it was an article on Pasadena Times or whatever. I don't know. I, you haven't, yeah. right? So you can actually send it over yeah. to different people and say, this is the article that shows literally what the history of this is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just people have no idea what... You know, and actually, there's another, I think, LA Times article that before about lynchings in, in, in LA, one of the biggest lynchings in America, why it's actually... It was actually against Chinese mm-hmm. and what it looked like and how it was like 
open season, people were just killing Chinese people, and they couldn't testify, right, because of the particular law that there was there. So you look at that, and you're like, that is really crazy. Like, and it's, this is our history. This is LA history, right? And we live here now. So it's not like, oh, of course, deep, it's everywhere, right, in different stories that we have. It's not those terrible people over there, that state. California is not this enlightened place. It's a very recent phenomenon. Our history is not like that. And we have to know that. And California is, and LA, Angelinos have to keep on remembering that. If you forget that, we're like, oh yeah, of course, those, you know, Texans or whatever, right? <laughs> not true. Yeah. Not true. Yeah, yeah. It is not true. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I just... Wait a minute, let me, uh, let me uh, have... Uh, I just had a question regarding to your earlier statement about how <clears throat> our attitude towards um, the centers on campus is so different if we think of them as like a refuge for students of that ethnicity. It versus, can be that, of course. It should be that yeah. as well. But, but so I was wondering um, what you envision or what is happening with the Asian American Center to help us um, grow and, yeah. Yeah, this, this, uh, this quarter, in the Asian American Identity and Ministry class, one third of that class, Helen knows, is non-Asian American. Mm. Yeah, one third, which is actually, I, I've never had it that big. But I mean, it's, it's, it's good because we've always said these classes are not for only Asian Americans and you will not be treated like guests here. Like you're not, oh, it's so cute. Oh, that you're here, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not like that. Because you know, sometimes it'll be like that. Like, why are you here, right? Um, so how do we kind of, keep, and I think pedagogically, we, we've, we've thought about that before because we knew the fact that we would have non-Asian Americans there. And of course, because if you live in cities, there are a lot of Asian Americans around. And they don't know. So I told this African student in Texas, I said, you know what's weird? You're going to know about Asian, more about Asian Americans than Asian Americans know themselves. Mm. Because if they're educated here, mm. they're gonna use the same categories that the, the white America gave them, mm -hmm. and they won't be able to explain these things. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm giving you all the nuanced language. Mm. I think things like that, how do we keep on saying, this is not just for Asian Americans. We live in this world, we need better tools. I think as I teach different things, how do I keep on doing that? So that, and the fact that I kind of wear this Asian American center hat, helps me continually have this in the front. The, the struggle with Asian American scholars, and actually a lot of Asian American scholars even at Fuller, is that, you know, how do you get established? By doing mainstream white stuff. That's how you get established academically. Mm -hmm. So if you focus on that, Asian American stuff ends up being a hobby. Right? Like, well, when I have time, I'll work on this thing. Mm -hmm. But Asian American stuff is really, really complicating. And there's a whole discipline. People get PhDs on a very particular aspect of Asian American experience. So when you have Asian American scholars or even professionals here who haven't really dug into, and if they did, would it benefit their professional career? It might not. Mm -hmm. It might be like, why are you working on that you know, when you should be working on, I don't know, New Testament or whatever. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So the fact that I have to officially wear Asian American thing makes that my job to do Asian American stuff. And I realize that's been a great privilege. The fact that Fuller as an institution has invested in that um, and it's helping make sure that this is not some side project. Like I actually interact with Asian American studies overall. Um, I think you know, continue. You know, a couple of years ago, we did this whole trip to Manzanar. We actually took a bus and went to Manzanar. I mean, that was because it turns out if you go to Manzanar, the Muslim community has been going there for the last like over a, you know more than a decade, like two 
two dozen years or whatever, you know, 20 years or so. It's been a long time because they realized that, that the Muslim, especially after September 11th, how they're going to be treated was, was, might be very similar to Japanese Americans. And Japanese Americans who remember, only Japanese Americans who remember history, mm-hmm. they supported the Muslim community from the very beginning, even before September 11th. It turned out the fact that they actually have been always supporting them, and a lot of Muslim Americans have been learning from them. Like, Imams will come, they'll bring like whole youth group to Manzana Camp and say, this can happen to us, you better learn history. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how powerful it is. Last time we went, I think about a, a quarter were all Muslim. Mm-hmm. That's how big Muslim communities, wow. right? Before, before um, Trump got elected, there was a huge rise in people going to these camps. Mm-hmm. And you know what they kept on saying? The visitor kept on saying to the rangers, how does this work? Well, what do you mean? Like, can it work now? Mm-hmm. And the rangers like, what are you talking about? We have these memor- like historical sites to remember what we did worse. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, but can it work now? Like these, we were getting, they were getting tons of visitors saying, can we have something like this for Muslims? Like, can we, what does it look like? Or maybe Mexico. That, so the rangers were all, Trump, they were freaking out. They're like, this is not what yeah. this is, right? They're, this is not like, oh, here's a showcase of what we did in the past. Mm-hmm. And then even some of the politicians, politicians said, well, we did that in the past. I mean, I think there were particular cases where people were saying, well, can't we do something? We did it in the past. Why can't we do it now? I can't remember who the senator or congressman was. But there were this discussion that were, people were having. They weren't repenting of it. They were saying, oh, that's a case study of what we've done. Maybe we can do it again. Well, the Korematsu case is still good law. It hasn't been overruled. So that's key to remember. So, I mean, it's like those things could still happen. You know? Wait, but explain more. For those so, the Congress issue an apology from like the past two decades? Well, I think they, they issued an apology, but the so the Korematsu case is, is the Supreme Court case that said that it was perfectly legal and permissible for the government to have imprisoned Japanese people following or during World War II. Um, and it is a everyone acknowledges it's like a shameful case. It's a you know a, a mark on the judiciary, all of those things. But no subsequent cases, no, the court has not overturned oh. that ruling. What? So it is still... There's been no reason for it to have been challenged. Right, right, right. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, but it's still just important to remember that the holding in the Korematsu case is still good law. <laughs> yeah. That that is still the law of the land. Right. History, once again. Mm-hmm. Like, just history. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, when you learn the details of this thing, you say... And of course, what ended up happening, I mean, there's layers and layers of stuff, like in terms of what happened with the camps, how the, and how the Japanese-American community kind of dealt with it, mm-hmm. different camps within, different factions within the Japanese-American community, how they were treated with each other. I mean, I think all that stuff, I mean, it's so fascinating to learn and also to kind of think about how do we navigate these things? How do we navigate, and how do we treat each other in the midst of these things? I think, I, I mean, like, you know, people who live in California, they've never been, like, a lot of people who actually went to visit, like, you know, with us, uh, even a lot of our faculty and students, they've never even, you know, knew the fact that it was there. Like, just, they heard some echoes of it. So, you know, I think, uh, it's why Fuller Studios recorded the whole thing. I think what we're trying to do with, so, getting back to your question, I think what we're trying to do is making that trip more regular. Like, things like that. And so, along with that, how do we keep on raising voices? 
And then how do we continue to work together more closely with the ethnic center so that it's not just ethnic studies for different people, but we're trying to raise something about solidarity, about uh, subjectivity, about liberation. And I mean, do it all theologically, obviously, right? This is not just politics. We need to think, we need to have a decent grasp of reality. And then we have to say, what does the gospel say to this thing? And it can't just be like, well, we all just forgive and forget. I mean, that's not going to be beneficial. What does the kingdom look like? Um, I, that, that's the continual journey, a continual struggle, for, I think, for all of us. And, and so that's what it looks like. Is there another trip planned coming up soon? Or? Was it next year or next, next year? Um, I believe 2020. Yeah. Okay. So, we're, I mean, I think we'll go every, at least every five years, but we're trying to put a trip in between. So it's like three, every mm-hmm. two, three years. So mm-hmm. there's always, you know, and then we can kind of say, because last time we went, it was a 75th, you know, commemoration of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we go, I mean, you can always go by yourself. You, at the end of April, last Saturday of April, they always have this annual day of remembrance. Mm-hmm. And when you go... They have a whole ceremony, all this different stuff. You know, they have speakers talk about these things. And you, I mean, you, if you go by yourself, it's very different because there's nobody there. It's beautiful, and also you, you, you get the feeling like, oh, it's beautiful to camp. Nobody wants to live here. Mm-hmm. It is a terrible place to live. It's freezing. It's super hot. It's super dusty, right? So, um, just the dynamics of all this stuff and stuff. But if you want to go where they have actually this day of remembrance. It's actually uh, last Saturday of April. They do it every year. Mm. If you go, though, make sure you stay for the, for the official kind of ceremony, but don't stay for the service. That goes on for a long time. Uh-huh. And they have like long Shinto prayers, that go for, a Buddhist prayer that go for like 30 minutes. Oh. Don't stay for that. Go visit everything else. Uh-huh. Because I think that's, that's okay, but it's not great. If you stay for that, it'll take you up too much of your time. Uh-huh. So go for the first part of the ceremony where they have speakers and testimonies and where they have flags of the different, uh, uh, different camps and everything else. I think that's really moving. Uh-huh. Uh, and then go and start looking at everything else. If you go that day, it'll be very crowded. If you go other days, there's literally nobody there. Uh-huh. But right now it's closed because the government's closed. Yeah. So oh, right. that's where we are. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so the next... Uh, trip that the Asian American Center and Fuller will be organizing will be uh, April 2020, uh, so next school year. Okay. Uh, also, one thing that the Student Fellowship and us, uh, so Dean's one of the co-leaders of the Student Fellowship uh, and the Asian American Center, some point this spring, uh, our friend Bill Watanabe, who was actually born in the incarceration camp uh, and is a community leader in Little Tokyo, he founded the Little Tokyo Service Center. Uh, he's going to be taking us on a history walk oh, wow. of Little oh, Tokyo, yeah. oh, which wow. includes, uh, a lot of people don't know this, uh, the plaza in front of the Japanese American National Museum is actually where the buses came to take, uh, it was the gathering point oh, for folks uh, to go to the incarceration mm-hmm. camp. Uh, so, uh, so he's going to walk us through some of that history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're interested in that, feel free to follow up with the Asian American Center or the Student yeah. Fellowship. Yeah. And that's going to be 2020? Uh, so, no, so no, uh, 2020 uh, is the oh, Mezzanar trip. Yeah. Uh, this this is, spring oh, uh, will be Bill's uh, walk yeah. to Bill Tokyo. Yeah, he knows this, this everything. Spring. Yeah, yes. that's this spring. It's like it's like a couple 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 months, right? So, okay. Bill Watanabe is amazing. He knows he's a very unassuming man, but he knows everything about Little Tokyo. And I think you can literally see these places. He'll point to what the buildings were, how they fought for different things, how the police. You know, I mean, there's so much things there that you'll learn. So I think that's really good. So. Um, yeah. Uh, what are some more practical ways 
that uh, non-Asian Americans can be able to live out the solidarity of the historical elements that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between people knowing the history, learning things, being educated, mm -hmm. and then realizing that even the Asian Americans that you interact with may or may not even know mm -hmm. what you know. Mm -hmm. There's so much of that whitewashing that's happened, or I call it brainwashing that's happened, yeah. that the reality is that you knowing is only one like part of the equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think once I mean, further it's just continuing, just you know, supporting different things, like you know, and saying, I mean, this is how critical white David talk, describes it. It's called pure white approval for Asian Americans and other minorities. If it's not good enough for white people, it's not good enough for them. It's like, well, I want what white people get, right? So that's basically why a lot of Asian Americans don't take Asian American classes. They're like, well, why do I have to talk about identity? Like, white people don't talk about it. Mm. Or they'll say, this is one student will say, you know, this is Asian American class, Asian American professor class. Yeah, it's, I heard it's really good. Even the white students say it's good. And I'm like, why does it matter? Because you need that approval. You need that affirmation. Mm. If a white chef doesn't present it, is it really real? If a white artist doesn't really introduce it, is it really, does it really exist? This, this is how dynamics of cultural you know, appropriation kind of works as well. This is kind of, so I think in one sense, how do, like, no matter who we are, really have a deeper understanding of our own history, right? Say, oh, I'm not just a generic normal human being, like, I have a particular history. So I think for a lot of white people, you know, white people, I think it's a question is, how do you understand really white studies and kind of go deeper on that? And really have a very different, good understanding of that. And that's an encouragement to everybody in saying, well, how do we kind of know all of who we are? I mean, one of the biggest things that I'm trying to do in curriculum at Funner is like saying, who all of which we are, who, who we are individually, like matters. It's not so much the fact that we need more like black studies or Asian American studies, like, I need white people to understand what it means to be white. Mm -hmm. Then they can kind of be in different places to realize this is what solidarity means. This is my history. That then you become somebody who understands what's going on. Uh, there was a student group in in Austin, Texas, huge Asian American kind of university chapter, and they're like, "Well, shouldn't we have a role in racial reconciliation?" I was like, "Yes, if you know who you were, mm -hmm. if you know your history, yes." But if you don't know history, and if you don't know who you are, you are dangerous. Mm. What are you going to say? Right? You're going to say stuff like, oh, it's great. We're so privileged and black people are not. Like, really? You have no idea what your history is. Mm. I mean, that's a relative statement, right? There's some privilege, but do you understand what the history is? And, what, and do you have a deeper understanding of where you find yourself? I think that's basically what I would say. And then continue to kind of find support ways, right? Support ways that you can kind of learn about the world that we live in. Whether it be Hispanic stuff, I mean, Latino, you know, Central Latino, you know, uh, Pinal Center, Asian Americans, all these different things, I think. Mm -hmm. And kind of make a connection that's broader than just, oh, here are the different cultures. Drop the language of just cultural difference. Mm -hmm. uh, we, that's real. We affirm that. But thinking about it that way without the historical genealogies mm -hmm. makes it incomprehensible. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just not true because you're getting, a, you're getting a modern snapshot of this longer historical trajectory. And that's very, like, okay, well, here's a crazy situation. It's great. I'm like, but what's the history? What's the history of Yellow Peril? What's the history of Orientalism in, 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 in American cinema? Mm -hmm. Then you understand where this fits in. Mm -hmm. But even a lot of Asian Americans don't know about that either, right? So mm -hmm. as we know about that, we can kind of help each other out all together. Mm 